Hello everyone, it's Takuyi here. And I'm Gabby. And we are the hosts of History of Everything, a podcast which you can probably guess by the name is, well, I mean, it's about everything. Do you want to know why people thought potatoes were evil and would give you syphilis? Are you curious about all the stories of the terrible and stupid ways that people have kicked the bucket over the years? Do you want to hear tales about all of the different badasses of history and the lives that they had brought to life? Well, if so, then look no further. History of Everything is just the right podcast for you. It's available on Spotify, Pandora, and anywhere else that you get your podcast from. Join us for some fun and just see how weird and wacky history can be. If you like this podcast, can we recommend another one? It's called Big Picture Science. You can hear it wherever you get your podcasts, and its name tells part of the story. The big picture questions and the most interesting research in science. Seth and I are the hosts. Seth is a scientist. I am Molly, and I'm a science journalist. And we talk to people smarter than us, and we have fun along the way. The show is called Big Picture Science, and as Seth said, you can hear it wherever you get your podcasts. What follows may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. The world is full of stories. Stories of mysteries. Of curiosities. Of oddities. Join Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected, as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the box of oddities. So we just got back from a trip. Um, yes, we uh, we just got off an airplane. But <laughs> if so, if I were you, I would uh, maybe stand six feet back from your uh, phone while you're listening, uh, just to, you know, to be cautious. Um, we're, we don't think that we're uh, in any way contagious, but um, just, you know, we, we want you to be overly cautious. Absolutely. Every time. Uh, it was a weird, it was weird traveling like this, and we were very cautious, and oh, yeah. we made... Uh, extra efforts to make sure that we didn't put our hands in our mouths or touch or, anything. Or anybody or, else's mouth, right? either. Though it, several times I had to chastise you for rubbing your eyes. I have no concept of how often I it's rub my amazing, eyes. It's amazing, right? Yeah, yeah. And but. then we were talking about it with Amber, our, our friend slash road manager, and she said the same thing, that she she had no idea how often she rubbed her eyes. And then I was saying how at night when I get in the shower, I like I drive my palms into my eyes and I kind of like <laughs> it's like I clean them out for the whole day. It's so gross. My hands are well, I, I've pretty much degloved my hands because of all of the uh, hand sanitizer and hand washing. <laughs> yep. So now let the healing begin. The weirdest part, though, was uh, and do you guys ever have this happen? You you go away for a few days and you come home and, and your house smells weird. Yeah. Yeah, our house it smells smell, weird. Does it smell like that all the time? That's the thing is I don't know if it smells like that all the time and we become desensitized to mm. it or if it smells this way because we haven't been in it, you know, moving right. around and using it. And, you know, maybe maybe it's just the s- smell of being stagnant. Yeah, it could be. I don't know. It's it's not an unpleasant smell. It's just not one that I anticipated coming through the door. Yeah, every single time. It's weird. It's weird. It's kind of a combination of uh, French fries and fresh laundry. <laughs> it's it's a bizarre combination, which actually would be an interesting scented candle. 
<laughs> I vote probably no. Well, regardless, uh, we're back and we're glad to be and we missed you guys and I got a story for you. Okay, you go first. Yes. Uh, what you got for me. Uh-huh. Uh, uh, well, according, uh, what, okay. you, what you got for me. Oh, okay. Sorry. <laughs> we need to get more jingle submissions okay. for that. All right. All right. Well, she died 2,500 years ago. Who did? I'm about to tell you. Oh. And it wasn't until the year 1993 that she was rediscovered. And she was in amazingly good condition because even though she'd been dead for 2,500 years, give or take, she had been mummified and she had been buried in the frozen tundra. Oh, wow. According to Wikipedia, the mummified remains of the Ice Maiden, a Siberian woman who lived in the 5th century BC, were found undisturbed in a subterranean burial chamber. Ah, the Ice Maiden. I am shocked that we haven't already talked about the Ice Maiden because it, she's such a, I don't know, what's the term, ubiquitous, uh, it, I know that's not right. You know, she's so well known. Yeah, I was shocked, too. Natalia Polosmik and her team discovered the Ice Maiden during the summer of 1993. At the time, she was a senior research fellow at the Russian Institute of Archaeology. Um, it was her fourth season working on the Yukok Plateau. So she'd been there for a while digging about. Mm. Now, this is a major discovery, but it's interesting that there are few English language sources available for this important discovery. Polosmek's National Geographic article from October of 1994 is one, and there was a BBC documentary in 97 featuring her and members of her team. Those are the most informative and accessible sources of information on this historic find. So resource material for this discovery is uh, somewhat limited, but here is what we know. The Ice Maiden was a representative of the Pazaric culture that thrived between the 6th and the 2nd centuries BC uh, in the Siberian steppe. The tomb was found on the Yukok Plateau near the border of China. The area is known by the locals as, quote, the second layer of heaven, Aww. and it's thought of as one step above ordinary people and events. It's like a mystical holy region. Kind of the space between heaven and earth. Like a purgatory, I guess. But like a nice one. Yes, a cozy, beautifully decorated purgatory. Um, inside the maiden's tomb chamber was her coffin, which was made out of a solid, large wood tree trunk decorated with leather appliques mm. depicting uh, deer figures. The chamber also contained two small wood tables with tray-shaped tops that were used to serve food and drink. Horse meat and mutton had been placed on the tables and were still in pretty good condition because of the frozen tundra. Also, the residue of a dairy product thought to be yogurt was found in a wooden vessel. You know, yogurt's one of those things that always gets kind of shoved into the back of our fridge right. and left as well. So I can definitely see how yogurt would have lasted that long. And there was also some kind of a beverage served in a horn cup that was uh, left to sustain her during her journey. Aww. The Ice Maiden was laid to rest with her head toward the east, which is what we do nowadays. They just keep on looking to the east. I didn't know that. Mm. People are buried facing the east? Yeah, you didn't know that? No. Yeah. Like, all the time? That's pretty much the rule. I mean, it's, it's not a law, but uh, yeah. Really? Yeah. Well, Christians are, anyway. 
Oh, I guess I don't I... Well, that song China Grove by the Doobie Brothers is about a graveyard. And that's China the... Grove. Yeah. Dun, dun, no, that's dun, Panama dun. Oh. by Van Halen. No, it's China Grove. No, that's that's Lindsey Buckingham. Hollywood Road. Um, but no, in that song, it says, they just keep on looking to the east. Bump, bump, bump. Like that. I don't know what that is. Mm. They estimated that her uh, age at the time of death, she was between 20 and 30 years old. The cause of the Ice Maiden's death was unknown at the time of her discovery. Um, they think she had some sort of an elevated status, maybe a priestess in her community, based on the items that were found in her chamber. Uh, she was buried with a beautiful yellow silk blouse, uh, a crimson and white striped wool skirt with a tassel belt, thigh-high white felt leggings. Ooh, girl. <laughs> they had fur. She had a small mirror made from polished metal and wood um, and uh, was carved with deer figures as well. She had a headdress. This, this thing was nearly three feet tall, and because of that, her coffin because she was buried with it on, mm -hmm. her coffin was eight feet long. Wow! In order to accommodate the uh, the three foot headdress. That's so cool. She was also covered in intricate and elaborate tattoos, pretty much head to toe. Mm -hmm. Doctor Natalia Plasmic, who was the scientist who discovered the mummy, said tattoos were used as a means of personal identification at the time, kind of like a passport is now. The Pazericks also believed the tattoos would be helpful in another life making it easier for the people of the same family and culture to find each other after death. Oh, I did not know that. That's kind of nice. We've talked about that. Like, if you had to identify uh, my body uh, post-mangling, mm -hmm. you know, what what would you use? And you're right. like, obviously, your tattoos. And I right, was like, well, right. what if none of them were visible, and mm -hmm. which would be unlikely. But um, <laughs> and, and you're like, I don't know. And I'm like, how can you not know? Oh, I would I would identify you by your your cute, dainty little feet. But I don't have dainty feet. I have ogre feet. And every time you said dainty feet, the police would be like, well, it's not this one. <laughs> I disagree. Your feet are two of your four nicest assets. Um, so because of all of the things that she was buried with, they assumed that she was a person of higher stature, probably a princess. Sure. The princess of Ukok might have been a celibate healer. It was traditional at the time to be buried in pairs with your lover, husband, wife, whatever the case may be. Mm -hmm. It was only when a person was celibate that they were buried by themselves. Aww. And she was buried with all of this accoutrement, mm -hmm. with all of these uh, pomp and circumstance items that led them to believe that she was probably some sort of uh, priestess or healer or shaman. Uh, they, you put all the information together and they believed that she was a celibate healer. And healers at the time, many of them, uh, did abstain from sex as part of their belief in rituals. Because they would have more energy to give to those they were healing? Yeah, it's like when you're on a seventh grade basketball team. I, you know, I can't, I can't, I can't get on board with that. <laughs> I feel like you're a better, <laughs> healthier, stronger healer uh -huh. uh, if you've recently uh, busted a nut. <laughs> <laughs> Also leading to their belief that she was a high-status person was she was buried with uh, six horses. They oh, were, geez. They were saddled and bridled, and they were all facing to the east as well. That's right. Her head was shaved, completely bald, 
Her shaved head was crowned in a horsehair wig, according to, again, Natalia Polosmek. The base of the wig was a, quote, felt hat with two layers of women's hair sewn into it. Between the layers was a black flexible substance which helped to fix and hold the shape and the volume of the wig. A mop of hair on top was tightly woven around the woolen cord, which helped this mop to stand upright. On top of this mop was worn a braided decoration made from threads. And on top of that was a, uh, a, a figurine of a deer that was made from wood and covered in a golden foil. And of course, the entire wig. And then, of course, you know, the majority of the wig was made in, in horsehair. Wow. It's quite intricate and, and really quite beautiful. So how did she die? They had no idea how she died until 2010. When the mummy was first uncovered, it was really difficult for the researchers. There were no visible signs of trauma. Right. Um, all of her internal organs had been removed for mummification, so they couldn't really see if there was any disease in her organs. But MRI scans of the Yukok princess's body taken in 2010 revealed that she probably died from breast cancer. Oh. They think it's probably the cause for death, given that she was in the last stage of cancer by the time that she had died. The princess's skeleton also bore little or no evidence of any kind of physical trauma, mm -hmm. ruling out a more violent uh, end to her life. According to the chairman of the MRI Center of Siberian, uh, Siberian Department of the Russian Academy of Sciences, quote, her skull was fully preserved and so are the bones. DNA obtained from her remains is intriguing. <clears throat> they also found she had some weed on her. Oh, yeah? Yeah. <clears throat> well, she was a healer. Well, she was a healer and she was also uh, suffering from cancer. Right. Uh, they found it buried uh, a container with, with marijuana in it. It had, it had been preserved for thousands of years in the Siberian permafrost. I bet that's really dried out. So experts surmise that uh, the princess was most likely in great pain by the time that she died um, from breast cancer. And that she probably was using the weed for medical purposes. Sure. Of course, marijuana could have also offered additional benefits as well. Uh, evidence suggests the princess might have had, it might have been a shaman because of the way she was buried. And that she may have used the marijuana in her healing ceremonies as well. So even though I said she was well preserved and, mm -hmm. and, she, and she is, it's still a mummy. Right. And you can't really tell what she looked like. Until 2014, a Swiss taxidermist rebuilt the face of the Princess of Ukok. At the request of a German museum, he used a 3D model of the mummy's skull, and he spent months reconstructing the mummy's facial tissues using the plastic mold with silicon and a rubber resin combo. Wow. Now, to replicate the horsehair wig, which the princess was wearing, he spent two weeks putting together over 100,000 individual strands of real horsehair. He said that took 2 weeks and it took me to the and it took me to the brink of insanity. <laughs> I didn't spend more than 2 or 3 hours a day because it was so boring and the neck pain literally forced me to do something else. Maybe a little weed would have helped right? with, with the <laughs> neck pain. He also painstakingly recreated the mummy's tattoos on his uh, elaborate model and and the result is just a stunning lifelike representation of the uh, princess of ukok 
And we'll post that picture. Would you like to see it? Yes, please. Oh, wow. I mean, she looks like somebody you would pass on the subway. That's incredible. That is amazing. And again, we'll post that on our social meds. There you go. The princess of Ukok, the ice princess of Siberia. I love it. And now, that thing in the middle. All right, time to revisit Craigslist for some of the most bizarre items that are legitimately for sale. Number five, a teddy bear made out of chicken. Yep, it says, it's really cool. Chickens come with lots of duplicate parts, so you can make two bears from one chicken. If I sell this one, I'll post the other, $47. And it's just raw it's chicken. It's just raw part. chicken. Yeah, it looks horrific, all sewn together. <laughs> Number four, cat milk. Fresh cat milk for sale. I just milked them this morning. A little bitter because they were strays, but not bad with cereal. $6 per quart. How do you milk a cat? With a very low stool. Number three, <laughs> burritos. They're homemade. And what's weird about this is the picture that accompanies it is the woman making the burritos who is sitting on the floor of her kitchen, folding them like on the floor of her kitchen. They're floor burritos. Yay, floor burritos. Six dollars. Number two, extremely full ketchup packet. <laughs> it is an extremely full ketchup packet. Ten dollars. And number one, Wyatt Earp pistol-shaped hot Cheeto, $900. And it does kind of vaguely look like a six-shooter, but uh, I wouldn't spend over 700 for that max. <laughs> the podcast that got on the scale this morning and went, oh, shit. This is The Box of Oddities. Hey there, I'm Dylan Lewis, one of the hosts of Motley Fool Money. Each weekday on Motley Fool Money, we talk through the business news you need to know and the stories moving stocks on Wall Street. On weekends, we dive into the industries shaping tomorrow and host the experts, authors, and executives that understand them. Tune in for insights, a long-term perspective on investing, and of course, stock ideas, plenty of them. To quote a listener, it pays to listen. Check us out and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. On our show, we help listeners like you make the most of your finances. I sit down with NerdWallet's team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. We answer your real-world money questions and break down the latest personal finance news. The nerds will give you the clarity you need by cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. We don't promote get-rich-quick schemes or hype unrealistic side hustles. Instead, we offer practical knowledge that you can apply in your everyday life. You'll learn about strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. And you'll walk away with the confidence you need to ensure that your money is always working as hard as you are. So turn to the nerds to answer your real-world money questions and get insights that can help you make the smartest financial decisions for your life. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. When Johann Rahl received the letter on Christmas Day, 1776, he put it away to read later. Maybe he thought it was a season's greeting and wanted to save it for the fireside. But what it actually was, was a warning, delivered to the Hessian colonel, letting him know that General George Washington was crossing the Delaware and would soon attack his forces. The next day, when Rawl lost the Battle of Trenton and died from two colonial Boxing Day musket balls, the letter was found. 
unopened in his vest pocket. As someone with 15,000 unread emails in his inbox, I feel like there's a lesson there. Oh well, this is The Constant, a history of getting things wrong. I'm Mark Chrysler. Every episode, we look at the bad ideas, mistakes, and accidents that misshaped our world. Find us at constantpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Support for The Box of Oddities is provided in part by listeners like you on Patreon. You can support us too. Go to patreon.com slash box of oddities. Thank you. The Box of Oddities with Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth. B sent us a message on, I don't know which social media because I get them confused. Uh, there's a lot. Anyway, uh, B was telling us about how she's been listening to the episodes and she said, I introduced my Nana, who is 71, to the show and it was such a bonding experience. You see, after 54 years together, my grandfather passed on and she was more than a little lost. Living in a very conservative land, you can imagine the disagreements that we have, but this show allowed us to come together in joy. We went on road trips uh, to hike, and she requested your show. Aww. I love it. Nana Freak. That's delightful. It really is. 71? 71. She says that she was delightfully surprised to find that we were on YouTube, and that was until she had to explain what we were referring to when we mentioned searching for peanut butter cookies, and that led to a bukkake site. (laughs) Nana went 71 years without knowing the term bukkake. Thanks for that weird conversation. (laughs) Our Our work here is done. So, 71, I wonder who is the oldest member of the freak community? That's a great question. Send us a message if you think that you can compete for the oldest member of the freak community. Curator at theboxofoddities.com. So what you got for me? Another message that we received was from Cassandra, and she included a topic suggestion that I just loved. So thank you very much for this, Cassandra. We're talking about the Anik Garden. Now, it's spelled A-L-N-W-I-C-K, and so I was going to call it the Alnwick Garden, but the uh, the internet t- said that it was Anwick and to stop saying it that way. And so, Were you scolded by the internet? <clears throat> yes. Mm. Once again, mm. I, I tried my very best and the internet went, no. <laughs> so the Anwick Garden is a complex of formal gardens adjacent to Anwick Castle in the town of Anwick. See, you can see why I wanted to make sure I was saying this right. Sure. Because it's... Uh, peppered throughout, and it's not Alnwick. This castle in England is the traditional seat of the Duke of Northumberland. Uh, It's also, by the way, served as the setting for Hogwarts in the first two Harry Potter films, so you might recognize it. Uh, The first garden at this castle was laid down in 1750 by the first Duke of Northumberland, who employed Capability Brown, who was a celebrated gardener in that region. And I love the name Capability. Capability Brown. Capability Brown. That's a trustworthy name, isn't it? It is. Yeah. I trust Capability Brown with my shrubbery. <laughs> they landscaped. And then the third Duke was a plant collector. And 
he brought seeds from all over the world, uh, pineapples and raised them in hot houses. And then in the middle of the 19th century, the fourth duke created an Italian style garden featuring a conservatory. And uh, the gardens were pretty amazing at that point. They had topiaries and avenues of limes and acres of flowers and so on and so forth. Although it had been pretty amazing in the past, the garden had fallen into disrepair in the 20th century. It had been turned over for crop growing as part of the Dig for Victory campaign during World War II. Okay. It actually closed as a public garden in 1950. So redevelopment of the garden was instigated by Jane Percy, Duchess of Northumberland. After a trip to the estate, Percy's husband had suggested she do something with the garden, which at the time were disused, and there was, like, maybe some Christmas trees growing in there, but that was pretty much it. So, was it derelict? Was it it abandoned? Was it just all overgrown? It it was disused commercial forestry, basically. In 1997, though, the Duchess hired Belgian landscape designers Jacques and Peter Wurtz. And this is according to the Smithsonian, which for some reason my notes pad changed to the Smithsonian. And... (laughs) And it, uh, <laughs> I don't know why that's so funny. Yeah. All right. The Duchess said, I think my husband thought that will keep her quiet. She'll plant a few roses and that'll be it. But Percy did a lot more than that. In 1996, she hired Jacques Wirtz, a landscape architect. He was no capability brown, though. Who could be? No one is the answer. No one. I think I want to get a tattoo of like some flowers and then the name <laughs> Capability Brown. <laughs> Just a little paying homage to a delightful name and a wonderful profession. It would also make it easier for me to identify your mutilated remains. (laughs) That's right. The first phase of redevelopment opened in October of 2001. It involved the creation of the cascade there and an initial planting of the gardens. In 2004, a large 6,000-square-foot treehouse complex was built that includes a cafe uh, for the visitors of the gardens. Can you stay there? Does it have, like, rooms you can rent? No. Because I want a treehouse. I know you do, honey. But developments and additions have continued since. The formal gardens featuring a labyrinth of bamboo tunnels and, the, as I mentioned, the, the central water cascade. There's a cherry orchard, a serpent-shaped garden filled with water features. But in 2005, there came the addition that I think is really interesting. Of course, it, the whole thing's interesting because I love a garden. Um, and I love the representation of different types of gardening in one space. I, I love a garden. Anyway, this was entirely the creation of the Duchess, and she wanted to have something that was different from other gardens. And she was inspired on a visit to an apothecary garden in Italy. The poison garden is kept behind a pair of black iron gates. It's filled exclusively with around 100 toxic, intoxicating, and narcotic plants. Really? Visitors are allowed in under the supervision of specialized guides. They are strictly prohibited from smelling, (laughs) touching, or tasting any of the plants. There are signs warning of these dangers all over the garden, uh, though they are not enough to combat uh, people 
it, it seems, in the summer of 2014, seven visitors fainted after inhaling toxic fumes. See, so it can you, be a dangerous trip. You, you would think that um, most people would understand if they were going into an area referred to as the poison garden, <laughs> that you wouldn't want to ingest said uh-huh. poisons, yeah. let alone, you know, inhale. Right. But yet they feel the need to put a sign up. Don't eat this poison. They have to. They have to. Because people will eat it. That's right. Oh, my God. Yeah. Um, and it's been said that there have been those who fainted just from walking through the garden because of the, you know, I mean, it's a hundred varieties of poisonous plants. You know, there's it's a, it's a going to be some. <laughs> a toxic brew. Indeed. The Duchess, in an interview with Smithsonian, said what's extraordinary about a lot of these plants is that people don't know they're killers. Visitors are often surprised by the laurel hedge, which is very common in English gardens, but can be very highly toxic. Apparently, there have been many instances where people have loaded up their cars with the pruned tips of their (laughs) laurel hedges Mm -hmm. to take them to the dump. Right. And they fainted while in the car. No kidding. Yeah. Wow, I had no idea. Then there are more unique plants like the giant hogweed, which when I typed it out, I put hogwarts and then I had to correct myself. Uh, That produces a toxic sap, which can cause severe burns when exposed to UV light from the sun. The burns can form permanent blisters and scars and can lead to permanent blindness. That's the giant hogweed. What? Hogweed, yes. Giant hogweed. Which I think is the the one that kind of looks like Queen Anne's lace. Because oh. you remember a couple of years yeah. ago, we had some giant hogweed in Maine. Mm. And people were like, do not confuse this with Queen Anne's lace because they do look the same. But giant hogweed is much more giant. And I constantly in the summer will pick Queen Anne's lace and bring it in the house. So I'm glad we didn't <laughs> have to deal yeah. with that. Yeah, No one needs giant hogweed in their den. Then there's the Strychnos nux vomica, which is where we get strychnine. When inhaled, swallowed, or absorbed through the eyes or mouth, it causes poisoning, which results in muscular convulsions and eventually death through asphyxia. Yeah, that is a really painful way to go. No, thank you. Then there's hemlock. Of course. Which is part of the carrot family. I did not know that. Yeah, which is one of the reasons why it's so dangerous is because it does kind of resemble wild carrot Mm. when it's growing. Six to eight hemlock leaves can be toxic. The seeds and roots are also toxic, more so than the leaves, but it's primarily from consumption. Poisoning can also result from inhalation and from skin contact. Basically, what happens is uh, shortly after ingesting it, the alkaloids produce potentially fatal neuromuscular dysfunction due to failure of the respiratory muscles. Shrubs are out to kill us. Sometimes. Mm. Then there's the beautiful, lovely ricinus communis, which is the source of castor oil, no big deal, but also ricin. Ricin stops your cells from making proteins by attacking our internal protein-making factories. Victims who ingest that get severe nausea and diarrhea. If it's inhaled, they'll also have difficulty breathing and fluid will build up in their lungs. They'll end up with an irregular heartbeat, low blood pressure, and seizures that can last for up to a week, and the patient can die of shock and multiple organ failures that will ruin your weekend 
The thing about ricin, too, is it can take a little while before it affects you that way. So it's one of the reasons, I don't remember when it was, but a few years ago, there was a guy who um, had ricin poisoning, and they thought it was some sort of spy situation. Um, Right, right, right. And it's hard to track down when they were exposed because of that length of time. Sure. Yeah. Anyway. One of the Duchess's favorite plants is Brugmansia, or angel's trumpet. It sounds like a euphemism. <laughs> like <laughs> a cute little fart. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that, uh, a little... little angel's trumpet. Yeah. <laughs> um, this is part of the same family as nightshade, and this grows wild in South America. The Duchess says it's an amazing aphrodisiac before it kills you. Oh, okay. Explaining that Victorian ladies would often keep a flower from the plant on their card tables and add small amounts of its pollen to their tea to incite a kind of LSD-like trip. Shut up. The Duchess said... Angel's trumpet is an amazing way to die because it's quite pain-free. A great killer is usually an incredible aphrodisiac. Sure, yeah. sure. The, and uh, the problem is you don't know if you're coming or going. <laughs> wow. You're welcome. Did you just come up with that? Like, <clears throat> Yeah. No, I, I, I planned that years ago. I took a glimpse into the future. I knew this moment would come. <laughs> And so I just had it ready. Like, I don't, uh, it's just sometimes you amaze me with your quick wit. Ah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you just responded like, uh-huh. yeah. <laughs> like you do not believe me. I don't me. believe you. I do. Anyway, anyway. Uh, so the Duchess has kind of a, um, <clears throat> she has some varied interests, as you can yeah. see. She's uh, <laughs> yeah. she's maybe a little darker than mm. than most uh, royalty that we know of. Uh, she also has quite an extensive taxidermy collection. Oh, really? Um, just so we're all clear. As part of the Poison Garden's educational mission, they grow a variety of drugs from cocaine to cannabis. Um, she also uses her guides as a jumping off point for drug education. So um, she's hoping that kids that come through there can learn about the dangers of certain drugs mm. without actually realizing that they're being, you know, drug educated. Well, that's clever. Yeah. Yeah. And also, I think when you can see, like, the source of a drug and understand what it does to your body, it's not just like a pill that, you know, gets you high. Mm-hmm. It's it's this is the plant and this is why it affects your body the way it does and, and how it can kill you. It's a different experience. Sure. For sure. The Annick Gardens is the most ambitious new garden created in the UK since World War II, with a reported total development costs of 42 million pounds. Wow. Yeah. And a large chunk of that goes toward the Poison Garden. And I'm sure that there are some insurance uh, (laughs) costs associated with the Poison Garden. One would assume. They did have to get authorization from the UK Home Office, which to me sounds like a bond term. Um, and make sure that all of these plants were legal to have in this garden. Wow. And I mean, because they're not legal to have most places, but <laughs> they uh, they do have permission to have them all there. That's fascinating. Absolutely. And it's now uh, weaseled its way into my top 10 of places we have to go. Oh, here we go. I cannot wait. This looks magical and amazing. And we have to go. It's the Annick Garden at Annick Castle in England. All right. Moving up to the top 10. 
No, that sounds really fascinating. I, I've heard of this. The, I've heard of the Poison Garden. I had no idea that it had such a um, an interesting history mm. behind it before it actually became a Poison Garden. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. Thanks very much, Cassandra. And we want to thank you if you're one of the people that have supported the Box of Oddities on Patreon. Um, if you have not yet and you would like to, you can get all kinds of free crap, lots of <laughs> lots of interesting benefits. In fact, we've given out our home phone number to the Inner Circle of Freaks. And one Sunday a month, we're just going to have a Sunday call with the Freak family. <laughs> and then uh, we'll, we'll make that into a little bonus episode and make that available to some of our patrons as well. So it's a lot of fun and we're super excited and we want you to be a part of it and also we are in the early stages anyway of planning um a live tour for next year once things settle down fingers crossed and uh your support on patreon is going to help finance um the box of oddities the next box of oddities tour we should start thinking of a name for that tour now because it took us a really long time to come up with the what you got from me (laughs) tour which consisted of one show yeah yeah it was well it's two shows do you think we can extend that because that's not fair that we only got to use that for two shows yeah because we had to cancel all all upcoming live appearances yes i think we should it should be what you got from me tour two the what you got from me tour two The What You Got From Me Tour Tries Again. What You Got From Me 2021. Yeah, well, I'm sure we can come up with something. (laughs) Anyway, we appreciate your support. Um, If you would like to join in on the Patreon fun, go to patreon.com slash box of oddities, or you can just go to our website, theboxofoddities.com. And we'll see you next time. Until then, keep flying that freak flag. Fly it proudly, you beautiful freak. And so, let it be known that the Box of Oddities belongs to you. And its fate is in your hands. Therefore, it's been requested by those to whom I report to beseech you for assistance. We ask but one thing of you. To provide a five-star rating and a positive review. True, that is two things. However, tis merely a five-star rating and a positive review. Also, subscribe to us. Okay, so three things is all we ask. Three things and three things only. Henceforth, the Box of Oddities commits to the telling of stories. Stories of the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected. We wish to offer our deeply felt gratitude and appreciation for your patronage. TheBoxOfOddities.com Copyright 2020, all rights reserved. Apple bottom jeans and the boots with the fur. Are you interested in the parts of history that remain a mystery? Do you want to learn more about the historical myths and misconceptions used to prop up false belief today? I'm Nathaniel Lloyd. In my podcast, Historical Blindness, I delve into all of these topics, sharing puzzling tales from the past and examining hoaxes, conspiracy theories, and misremembered events that provide insight into modern politics and religion. New episodes every two weeks. Find Historical Blindness on most podcast players and platforms. 
My name is Greg Jackson. I'm a historian, professor, and the creator of History That Doesn't Suck, a podcast that provides a complete overview of U.S. history through storytelling, yet keeps the rigor you'd expect in a university class. Starting with 22-year-old George Washington in his first battle, join me for a chronological telling of the United States' story, its unlikely revolution, fractious civil war, tenacious inventors, brave reformers, and more. With more than 100 episodes, you can already binge listen your way through the progressive era. Find History That Doesn't Suck wherever you get your podcasts.